What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, you heard it, the sports reporters. We have assembled the first episode with Andrew Hammond, now a member, full time, revealed member of the Detroit Free Press. He's still temporarily not in Detroit, uh, up there in the Northwest. Uh, Andrew Hammond, good. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Just, uh, just kind of chilling. <laughs> the be- be- best way to put it, man. But no, everything's go- everything's going good. Up there in the Northeast, Robert Silverman of the Daily Beast. Robert, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. Good <laughs> afternoon to you, Chase Thomas. It's the afternoon here. Well, I don't know. I don't know when I transition over. Until I've had my shower and gotten dressed for the day, I'm, it's still morning time for me. <laughs> Chase Thomas, for all you listening at home, is right now nude and smelly. Yes. It's really... Did that's I, what didn't want to know that. Well, to be fair, yeah. my my ear is just throbbing. Like, I just... What I'm dealing with, Bob, I don't think you were on the call before uh, we got started, but, like, I am not not a hundred percent in the last few days and i'm not a hundred percent but i am doing content for you guys i i didn't realize how much i would miss having normal normal ears normal flow uh of audio to my ears until uh it was taken away from me in the last two days it's driving me saline driving solution me man you what said said ish out with a saline solution so, what is that okay We'll we'll discuss it off air. I'll, I'll be your Jewish mother when we're for uh, for because no one else needs to hear that portion of the program. You know, Johnny Bob, um, my grandfather yeah. asked about you when I was um, on my mom's side. I oh, went back good to Atlanta Lord last weekend. Um, unfortunately, for the reason that uh, my grandfather, and my dad's side, passed away. So um, that was that was tough. Um, it was a tough weekend. But my mom's side, I saw them outside before. Before I left, um, next time I see them, I can do whatever because they had gotten their second shot, but it hadn't been the full two weeks. So by the time I see them again, it'll be have been the full two weeks since they had the second shot. But anyway, um, he was like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm all caught up." And uh, there's that guy on that Friday show that you do, <laughs> that New York guy. He just he's very opinionated and saying stuff. He's probably gonna hear this as this, and it was just so funny because he he stands out. <laughs> You stand out to a multitude of people in my life because I will have. He's not the only person who's asked me about Bob. Like, and I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "That guy. He is a character. He has a lot of personality. He is a like. You stand out more than anybody else in this show." Oh well, thank, thank, thank your your grandfather for me. That's very kind of him. Tell him, tell him my best. Give him my best wishes. Mm-hmm. That's very. In return, I'll I'll help deal with your ear issues. Thank you. That's like a fair trade. Because this shit sucks, and it's driving me up the wall. Um, guys, there is uh, some news. The The NFL, you tweeted this out yesterday, Bob, that it turns out woke culture did not bankrupt 
the NFL. Uh, um, explain to the <laughs> listeners what uh, what happened well, with the, the new media deal. Well, let's just say that the, the NFL recently uh, in, uh, extended their current media arrangement with a multitude of different providers, including Amazon.com, which will be the sole provider of Thursday Night Football. So that means unless you are in, say, the Jacksonville and Nashville markets, you will need an Amazon subscription to watch the Thursday Night Titans-Jaguars game that everyone is, is dying to get a hold of. Um, but it, it's a, a ginormous investment in the rights to NFL football that begins in 2023, I begin, and it's going to last till 2033. Um, and, and, you know, this isn't notable because the NFL is still, it's the most watched programming in America, still. It has been, this has been the case for going on, I think, three decades that the NFL consistently draws a higher percentage of viewership than any other kind of programming. You know, I could be very wrong about, I don't know the ratings for the, for the, for the Oscars and the Grammys in the 90s, so check my facts on that one, <laughs> everyone listening at home. But, like, as sports properties go, the NFL has been the ratings king for a long time. Um, that said, so there, there has been this very, a lot of very strange hand-wringing particularly over the last, I'm going to say, three to four years about the NFL's ratings ever since a certain quarterback decided to make an incredibly, incredibly uh, cautious protest of the national anthem. Um, you might recall this. It's been in the news a bit. Um, every time there's a ratings dip in the NFL, there is a certain segment of the population, mainly in conservative media, who will start caterwauling from the hot, from the top of the mountain that the NFL's politics are driving away fans and particularly fans who like to watch on TV. Of course, this has always been patently ridiculous. Ratings for all TV shows have been going down steadily for many, many years. All con like pretty much every form of programming has seen a ratings decline. Like the reason the NFL loses viewers or, you know, hasn't actually lost that many viewers in the past couple of years, they've kind of remained pretty stagnant, is because everyone is. There are just a lot more ways to consume entertainment now. And so, yeah, that's why ratings are down. But they still attract a captive audience in a way that no other TV show on air or, you know, show that you can get on your computer device or your Xbox, or the, uh, you know, uh, whatever whatever the kids are using to watch the TV now, like, nobody gets a captive audience like sports. And no sports net league gets more audience than the NFL. So, of course, networks and, you know, Amazon are going to pay through the roof for the rights to broadcast it. It's very silly that NFL ratings have become a culture war football, not to mix the hell out of my metaphors, but it has. And I just think it's 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 a weird the idea that the NFL is is has any kind of political ethos other than the NFL should be paid more money is laughable. It's like laughably stupid. And yet some of the most stupidly laughable people in the conservative press have been banging that drum for a while now. So I took the opportunity yesterday to post a, a prediction by uh, a guy by the name of Clay Travis, who I believe uh, has a radio show 
in your neck of the woods. Um, he was saying that there was a decline in ratings some at some point early in September, mm. and his catchphrase, which is heard everywhere if you track conservative media, get woke, go broke, um, seems kind of silly now that the NFL has a $100 billion contract in place. It's so just appointment television. Like, the NFL is always going yeah. to be king, mainly because it's appointment television where it's easy to follow. Like, it's once a week. Like, those kind of things. It's just, it, they've established I've themselves. I've been for a while now. This is an argument that uh, that, I, that I absolutely stole from Ethan Sherwood Strauss of The Athletic. Like, the, the smartest thing the NBA could do would be to create a similar set schedule. Mm-hmm. Like, games are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And that's it. Yeah. So as a, you you know, granted they can't do what you know, and so that everyone knows at what point the NBA game is on. Yes, you had it. You would probably you know you could definitely do two games a night from uh, some one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, just like the NFL does. But if everyone knew exactly when it was time to turn on the TV for the NBA, I think it would really improve the size of audience. Again. Yeah. They Being just pop up with, question. like, Sunday afternoon games. Like, the Sunday return yeah. of them, it's just, like, people... I, I remember the first time, I'm just like, what? Oh, I guess we're back at the Sunday night ESPN ABC Yeah, game. but nobody knew. Mm. But nobody knew, because it just sort of happened. Like, creating a set... It's like, yes. And it, everyone knows when the NFL games are. It, the Thursday night game is absolutely bad for their players' long-term health, but it doesn't matter, because everyone knows when the Thursday night game is. And so, like I quipped, you know, a couple of minutes ago... Even if it is a Titans-Jaguars game, people are going to tune in yeah. and watch that. Because um, it's just, it's fun. It's, also, it's football. You know, look, it's, it's not just, it's, it's the kind of programming also where you can't digest it in either a recorded or in, or as or easily in like clippable highlights that are parsed out on social media. Yeah. If you want to know who won the Super Bowl and you really actually want to watch the Super Bowl, as to be able to just, as opposed to say, just posting memes or the, or the cool highlights from the Super Bowl, you have to actually sit down at that time and watch it. And advertisers will pay through the nose for that. Andrew, what do you think? All right, so oh, I love when Andrew starts it with "all right." Whenever Andrew starts his, uh... <laughs> you know, he's gearing up for a yeah, real scorcher. I'm ready. Okay, so here's the thing about the NFL. I've said this for the longest. You could put on a mediocre Cardinals-Giants game. You could put that on in prime time in April or May on any network, and it will win the freaking night. Uh, say, say, you know... Uh, Bob is coming with a very, uh, I'd say, measured and good cop approach to this. I'm going to go bad cop Uh, and and, and, and not necessarily crapping on the NFL or mainly this is to the, you know, conservative, like, oh, my God, the NFL ratings are struggling. You want to talk about struggling ratings? Look at the NHL. The NHL is struggling. Uh, and and they did the smartest thing ever, which was get away from NBC Sports Network, which NBC well, Sports Network went away, right? Yeah, like it's it's going to be done by the end of the year. But it's like NBC Sports Network had 
a great approach to or a great idea of how they could, you know, get niche audiences and then you'd think they'd build off of it. Well, they did this really cool, funny and hilarious thing where they took arguably the third or fourth best sports property, which is the Premier League, and then they decided to put it on a freaking streaming network. Huh. That, that not great. Not great at all. Uh, so, in terms of what the NFL does, the NFL's figured out we need to put it, we need to remain on the networks, which kids, guess what? Putting actual sports on actual networks and linear TV it works. What a concept. Uh, like, not everything can be streaming or can be on a, you know, quote-unquote mobile network device, whatever you want to call it. You've still got to have linear television. And as much as, you know, the basically the, the kind of double-dipping that NBC, ESPN, and ABC uh, – or NBC, CBS, and ESPN, or basically Disney, uh, are going to do is they're going to do both. They're going to put it on ESPN Plus. They're going to put it on Paramount Plus. You know, they're going to put it on Peacock. But you're also still going to get the traditional networks. What a concept! Like basically everything the NFL is doing is like, oh man, they're doing they're they're really doing all this, yeah, because it works. Like. Why? Why are we? Uh, why are ratings down for the NFL? Because there's 32 teams in the league, and there's maybe two or three good games each week. If I, do, do I really want to watch? You know, two four win teams in the month of November? No. Um, so, like, what the NFL is doing is smart. They're establishing their brand, which they done better than any league for the longest and which i think the my favorite part about this is they're going to flex thursday or uh, monday and sunday night games now holy crap awesome like it, it, it gives the opportunity for bigger games on monday night because you need to grow the league. And they figure this out after Peyton Manning left, where it's like, you can't consistently be the face of the league when you're retired. And I figured out, we need to get every asset and every player on every team some type of, one, exposure, two, let these guys, you know, let these guys have a national footprint. So it's working. And they've done a successful job at it. The only wonder that I have in terms of the entire TV package is how longer are you going to have that Thursday night game? Because oh, forever. Well, well, and I, I, I tend to agree. After a while, though, what's the point of a Thursday night game if? Say, you know, we look five, ten years from now, like the pandemic kind of sorta gave the NFL a reason to put games on Wednesday night, 
and Tuesday night. And they saw, like, oh, man, people are watching. Thursday? Meh. Do I, I, I have nobody to kind of sort of contend with on Thursday night. Um, but you got Max to contend with on Wednesday night, but, my friend. Well, but, but the thing is, with Tuesday and Wednesday, I can absolutely dominate that night. Thursday, yeah. meh. Everybody's kind of looking towards the weekend, but Tuesday and Wednesday... I guarantee you that's where it's going to hit. That's where well, it's going to Well, they can't be do hit. Friday because college or high school football has that. Like, yeah. Lot. There's some kind of rule. It's, I remember because college football, people have asked that before. Of like, why aren't there Friday games? I'm pretty sure it's a college or a high school reason. Well, uh, that and I, frankly, I don't think that the, uh, I don't think that the, even the league wants to do a Friday night game. Mm-hmm. I think they want to, they want to keep Sunday and select Saturday games as their staple uh but yeah i mean it's it linear television still works uh and streaming like they're basically doing the best of both worlds which some conferences i.e the big 12 Mm -hmm. and pac 12 need to understand you need to have a mix of both if you want to be successful you got to have a mix of both bob your response what (laughs) <laughs> no, I agree. That's good. What? What? I agree. That's good. Ever. Um, I think we we're too aligned uh, on this podcast. I think the three of us are all like we're we have basically the same sort of. Yeah, yeah you, you guys need to bring in a. We need a. We need a. We need someone who's going to spice things up. Mm-hmm. We need a. We need a fourth wheel here. Who's the fourth who's wheel? Gonna, who's going to stir the pot? I think you need a Q and on adherence. Okay. I think you need someone. No. No, no. Balance the scales between like between the the sensible leftist of Andrew and the bomb throwing full bore communism that I espouse. You need Mm -hmm. you need you know to make sure that all sides are heard. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, The conditions. See if you can get the see if you can get the QAnon shaman. I think he has some time (laughs) on his hands. Um. Yeah, no, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna pass. Um, the conditions for the women's tournament versus the men's has become the forefront of the NCAA tournament this week. Um, probably not what the NCAA wanted, um, but maybe they should have uh, thought about this before they uh, had like one rack of weights for the women. Um, this is insane um this is one of those things that would not have happened like 10 years ago because they just wouldn't have posted the photos and all that kind of stuff and it's just like whoa this is wild um you just see the discrepancy and you're just uh, i think friend of the pod sarah kelly who was on yesterday tweeted out um, she quote tweeted the picture uh side by side of like what the women got like the the swag versus what the men got and just uh she made some sort of joke about like the way they did uh like almost like arrested development of like look at banner michael for their women's national <laughs> title it's just it's it's so bad and so just what are you doing um bob what do you make of a classic whoopsie by the ncaa to uh not do the easy right thing here it's really funny to me and and like there's a uh, i love when the the, the free market essentialists like weigh in on the NCAA because, you know, they're like naturally like with a viral tweet like that, where it's so easy to be 
like to realize that this is an unequal treatment. Um, and and the, the the immediate critique that I saw all over the place, not to not to knock down a whole bunch of easy targets, was well. They don't bring in nearly as much money as the, as the men's as the men's teams do. Of course, they're not going to get it. And I was like, "True, women's sports do not make as much in earnings as men's sports. Unfortunately, they're both paid the same amount, which yeah. is nothing." So then, if your argument is, "Well, the men deserve better facilities, and because they're they're earning more money for the school, then pay them." <laughs> a salary in exchange for their labor. Then you can have that kind of a conversation. Um, yeah, it was another bad moment. Look, the NCAA as a cartel is just so routinely awful. Um, this is just a, a particularly hilarious example of that. I mean, there is, oh God, we used to do this thing when I was at uh, Vocative, RIP though. Um, that is whenever, a word I have not heard in a long time, Bob. I had forgotten about been, Vocative. Vocative shut down in, four years ago this July, I'm going to say. It was either June 14th. No, it was June 14th. Wow. A few days after, a few days after the, the, the Warriors came back and won their comeback title, their first title. So with it's Durant, the Warriors' so I remember fault. It very clearly. Yeah, I blame Kevin Durant for this. Um, I blame the Slim Reaper for for the Vocative mm-hmm. demise. But in any case, at Vocative, we had a running blog feature. I would always, whenever uh, a school would roll out its newest, incredibly fancy locker room package or facilities package, we would write it up with a straight face. We would just write it up and just tout all of the amazing things that were available to their unpaid labor force as inducements and where that money and how much money was being spent instead of, say, on salaries for workers. So that was always a that was a fun, easy, recurring blog bit we used to do. Um, it's like, look, I, I honestly think that there will... Uh, you know, every time I think, well, okay, this is the final show that's going to actually, you know, force players to like band together and say like, sorry, you have to pay us or we're not going to do this free work for you anymore. The NCAA finds a way to kick down the road, a can down the road. There was a post by uh, Luke Bonner, uh, brother of former Toronto Raptor and uh, San Antonio Spur, Matt Bonner, and a delightful Twitter follow in his own right. He played college ball and he was saying it's been a year now since the, the NCAA agreed to with to some kind of compensation for uh for for naming rights and and nobody's gotten any money yet they they will kick this can down the road in perpetuity the shamelessness of the ncaa is really its one superpower so yeah they're going to get dusted on the internet for a couple days but they don't care andrew what do you think so they should be embarrassed, and I, I sent out a tweet earlier today, and I was like, yeah, the NCAA should be embarrassed about it. It was like, oh, no, the, like the, the typical response of, oh, well, we don't care. They don't care. That's like, thank you, Captain Obvious. The only reason I say that they should be embarrassed is because literally they thought this was a great idea. We're going to give them a home gym that makes the gym at the Radisson Hotel look 
you know, like a multi-million dollar facility. If if you just if you just operated men's sports and you put the same energy towards men's sports as you you know with women's sports operate with the same energy for both and treat them no different it works like you will be fine like i i i don't get this whole issue of oh we thought it was you know we no you're embarrassed because you got caught like that's that's why that's why you're embarrassed. But you should be absolutely embarrassed that you, especially the VP of women's college basketball, should absolutely be embarrassed because there's no way in hell that you honestly thought this was a good idea. Especially when they want to go ahead and say, "Oh, well." We couldn't ship everything because, you know, we couldn't do as much as, as you know, for the men because, well, the climate is different in Indianapolis than it is in San Antonio. Okay, yeah, your point? Like, what? You got caught. Just say you screwed up and actually consult with the athletes. Like... If you want to take as much pride in parading your student-athletes, then give them a seat at the table. And this just furthers the argument that, one, they need to be getting compensated much more. Uh, Two, if you're going to – because I've covered the women's tournament before. And the difference between the men's tournament and the women's tournament in terms of NCAA – and I kind of tweeted this in a mini-thread last night. Like the the – difference between how each of them operate and how you know as much care is put into x y and z it's it's day and night it is truly like the ncaa if like i don't know if you if you guys have ever covered the ncaa tournament for the men's side but there's this thing with power eight cups basically you can't have a, you know, you can't have like a Coke bottle or you can't have like a Sprite bottle on press row. It's got to be in an NCAA <laughs> sanctioned cup. And you've seen it, it. It happens every year on the timeline. You'll see people at the NCAA tournament, you know, saying, oh, well, cup police got me or something like that. With the women's tournament, I thought it was the same thing. Walked out with a Sprite bottle. Nobody said a word to me. And you're supposed to have NCAA people at these at these different sites. Just the care and the 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 care and effort that goes into the men's tournament, it's honestly it's it's actually very impressive and they do a good job with it. But keep the same energy for the women's tournament. Like it's it, it's really that simple, and it's just it's an aptitude, and it's run by people who one yes they're money hungry. Everybody knows that, but also you've got to have people who actually are participating in in the events. Give them some feedback. Like players, they always send out a survey every year, and clearly these surveys aren't working. But 
actually get input from the players. It would go such a, a long way in making sure that not only fans, spectators, media, like all of that, like it, it would work. Like it just people making complicated crap is very uh, frustrating, especially when it comes to the NCAA. Yeah, be better. That is my advice to the NCAA. Just be better. Uh, do the right thing. Just uh, if your instinct, I also just think they need to be at this point. Like, what is your gut instinct, Mark Emmerich? Okay, do the other thing. Whatever your gut instinct is telling you, don't, what, uh, don't also, do that thing. But where is he at in this? Like seriously. You had them kicking the can down the road on a college football season, which that is still a mess because you've got one division already done. Another have they division decided playing. like how this is going to work with FCS next year? Like, are they playing? I don't in the fall? know. I think I yeah. I, at this point, I think everybody is playing in the fall. So it's just like, wait a minute. So you're going to basically everybody gets a free year. Mm-hmm. Which messes up scholarship stuff. That is, I've heard from other uh, oh, coaches oh, and stuff. This is a mess. This is going to be a problem. It's, yeah, it's it, it, it it's going to be a problem. And so, like, you kick the can down the road, and yes, I understand you want to delegate it to the to the selected conferences, which I completely understand. But at the same time, you've got to you've got to get a pair of balls, like. If Mark Emmert was smart, should have done, you know, hey, we're going to do, you know, we're going to start the season in late September or early October uh, just so we can get some parameters put down. Because conferences were doing their own thing. And, yeah, like nobody knows what they're doing because the people up top are just like, oh, well, they'll take care of it themselves. Because just ineptitude across the board at the NCAA. Nobody actually in charge. Well, there's one person in charge, but when he's delegating responsibility to everybody, it just looks like a freaking mess. Yeah. Well, it uh, is probably going to stay a mess, guys. Um, Andrew, <laughs> what uh, what is your pick of the week? What have you watched or what have you read? Uh, what would you like to recommend our listeners this week ncaa tournament both men's and women's watch it enjoy it we didn't have it last year so did you uh, see the march madness people much- fuck up the meme did you see this the the Wolverine i meme? did see that incredible just how do you do jesus christ how do you do fellow kids <sighs> i love it i love it um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of a lot of basketball this weekend, and it's going to be fun to see Tennessee run the gauntlet. Um, I think that's a really cool thing um, that everybody gets to be treated to. Um, I I'm excited for it. Volkerson, the return from a just a brutal um, borderline just all time. Like I think he deserves a permanent ban um, from basketball ever. Uh, the Florida big who double elbowed Folky. So uh Yeah, that was that was a nasty elbow. It was, it was. Folky didn't do anything wrong. He was out here just doing his job, gritting and grinding. Um You know uh, I'm excited about for the NCAA tournament. Are you I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not nearly as much of a college basketball fan as you guys. I will I will watch because I'm a I'm a You're more of a college football guy. So, you love the SEC, Bob. I do. I I, I am 
I am on Rocky Top. That's yes. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I like that Patrick Ewing is doing well. It's very hard to root for Georgetown as a as an institution because mm-hmm. you know uh, I'm not a uh, as a bit as a like a, a uh, as someone who watched a lot of Big East basketball many years ago when it was a thing. It was yeah. you know. Uh, Georgetown winning all the time was, was kind of annoying. So I can't root for like overdog Georgetown or, you know, the kind of person who graduates from Georgetown. But Patrick Ewing being their coach makes what them lovable. What did they do and, to you? The Hoyas just really curb stopping the it's Hoyas. My, it's my anti-Jesuit bias, really. Okay. That's what it's all about. That's It's my pure anti-Jesuit bigotry. This is why my grandfather asked me about you, Bob. Like, you go on these diatribes about anti-Georgetown, and he's just like, what is, what, what was he talking about then? Georgetown stuff. This is, this is the bits right here. This is the classics. You gotta understand, like, look, there are, the the biggest documentary that ESPN did is, is really great. But Georgetown were the bullies, and they bullied everyone. And there are a lot of very, like, the racial lines that Georgetown fandom caused are to me fascinating um, because it was it is a school that has produced some absolute monsters in U.S. politics and yet John Thompson was a pioneer in terms of fighting for civil rights and was an outspoken critique of like the rampant racism that exists in college basketball so Georgetown is a land of contrast but um, but yeah, I'm very happy that Patrick Ewing is, is getting a cool ride. That to me is extremely fun. Go ahead, Andrew. Take it. Take it uh, uh, you know, the, the thing about Georgetown is for a lot of us, uh, I know for me, like for, for black people, like Georgetown and Temple were the two schools that you're like, wait a minute, are those like black schools? And you're like, no, like, it's just how they captured the culture and they captured the African community with two, uh, two coaches of color, John Cheney and, and, uh, and John Thompson, how they, well, they captured the city first, but then it became national. Uh, and so just watching all of, all of that kind of transpired, especially like, especially in the '90s, and of course, you know, Bob, like, like you said, in the '80s, having that exposure, like, wow, like, I mean, they were, I mean, they were wearing kente cloth on the uniforms, yeah. uh, <laughs> which, which, you know, not many, like, nobody was doing that, and Nike, you know, I, there was a story, I don't know if it was in Grantland or the Ringer, but, but basically talking about how that was developed. And Alan Iverson went to Georgetown. People forget that, but he did. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's just watching just, you know, the fact that Patrick Ewing did that in Madison Square Garden, you know, where he's won before as a college player and as a pro. Like, it was such a special moment. And, yeah, no, Georgetown... It's good when Georgetown is, you know, is on top and is and is thriving because it makes the game better. It it absolutely makes the game better, and and so like I was I wasn't like emotional, but I was very happy and very pleased to see them thriving. And uh, the only thing I'm upset about in terms of like the tournament and all that, 
Georgetown's automatic bid didn't kick Syracuse out because, seriously, what is Syracuse doing in the field of 68? Jim Behan, overrated, fraud, I'm uh, You know, and... An overrated and, driver, too. Okay, <laughs> come on. Oh, okay, pal, enough. Enough. Good Lord, what is wrong with you? Let me let me just say, to point to the contrast to Georgetown, it's like famous Georgetown alumni who didn't play on the basketball team include General Alexander Haig, um, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, who else? Uh, I can't think of any. I know Haig and Rumsfeld. Um, shoot, don't make me freaking Google this. Uh, well, hey, Bob, if you want to Google this, I do have some breaking news from the Big East. Sure. Marquette has uh, parted ways, a.k.a. fired Steve Wojciechowski. Oh, man. Uh, former Duke I, staffer, I, right? He was a I honestly... Former hated Dukey. Yeah, like, uh, people want to talk about Grayson Allen, um, J.J. Redick, Greg Paulus. Bryce Drew is the head coach at some university that I can't recall right uh, now. Grand Canyon. He is at Grand <laughs> Canyon right now. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I Woj, well, well, Wojo being let go at at, uh, at Marquette is kind of shocking. Uh, hmm. Christian Nielsen, George Tennant, John Podesta, Mick Mulvaney, all of these people are just monsters. Did you mention Bill Clinton? Of- Clinton, yeah, went to Georgetown Law. Yeah. yeah. Just awful, awful garbage people who should be... Did you say John Mulvaney? Buried John Mulvaney? Uh, what? No, Mick Mulvaney. Oh, okay. Mick Mulvaney. Mick okay. Mulvaney. Not, John Mul- not beloved stand-up comic John Mulvaney. Okay. We are not he also went to Georgetown. That's why I looked it up. Did you know he went to Georgetown? I don't know he went to Northwestern. No, it says here, yeah. Georgetown. Dang. Hmm. Yeah, like, it, it, Georgetown is a breeding ground for all of, like, the entire D.C., like, lawyer lobbyist class, which is why it was so fascinating to see that they became such an incredibly important part, like, cultural school, like, the, why the basketball program did enter the cultural lexicon to the degree that it did. And, you know, they could, I, like, it was weird. I When I was a kid, I, I, and, like, I was rooting for Big East schools. I just rooted for the garbage schools. I made bad choices. I rooted for, like... St. John's and well, St. John's uh, wasn't a garbage school. And Villanova and 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 also like Syracuse. It was just terrible stuff. All right. Well, we'll have to end here, guys. Um, Bob, what can we check out from you this week at the Daily Beast? Nothing new this week. Uh, working on some working on some stories. Hopefully, should be finished for the love of God soon. Um, but you can always find me on Twitter at Bob Sayeda. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And, right, and my DMs are open. So if you like, if, if you or, or any of your grandparents want to <laughs> drop me a message, I'm always open. I love it. I love it. And it's not just my grandparents, friends. They're just like, you're the most asked about of all the people on this podcast. I, it's <laughs> like, just funny to me. Your, where did you find that guy? Yeah. Out in the dumpster. <laughs> I just describe you. I'm like, he's like Jerry Stiller 40 years earlier. <laughs> I, 
that's that's awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride the high of that compliment all weekend. Yeah, it's a compliment. I love Jerry Stiller. Um, Andrew, what can we check out from you this week at the Detroit Free Press? Uh, NCAA tournament coverage, Tigers, uh, mm. NFL free agency still going on. Uh, I don't think you should be uh, advocating for Lions and Tigers. Well, inside the, the, the Lions just signed Brett Perriman's kid. So, you know. The, the, you know, and I will say this. The Lions, they are trying to definitely put something together. Uh, in terms of free agency, there is a, okay, you know, we need to address X amount of areas, you know, save some money in some places. Unlike the Chicago Bears, which basically <laughs> kind of sort of teased the fact that, oh, yeah, uh, we're going to try and put a package together for Russell Wilson and or Deshaun Watson. Uh, How is that working out? Well, hold on. I don't. This is one thing I don't understand on this this line of thinking. It's like it, they can't just force these two teams to trade for him. Like, I mean, I don't know what they're supposed to do if both Seattle and uh, Houston are like still no. And also. Andy Dalton's the best quarterback Chicago's had in what twenty something years. Like we talk about, Andy Dalton. Chase the bar is hell. Chase the bar is hell. I know. I'm not disagreeing. They got they got one good season out of Cutler. Cutler was good for a year. Cutler, that one good Jay Cutler year was definitely better than. But we talk about like Andy Dalton, like he is not like an immediate upgrade over these. No, no, no. He's not. He. I mean, he's not. I'm not saying he's not an upgrade, but when. And you are basically putting things out there when, when you're basically just like hunted on Fuller for reasons that nobody can seem to understand. Yeah. Aside from and, and that, like that is that deserves even more scrutiny. But yeah, no, it, it was like uh, you know Russell Wilson isn't happy, Deshaun Watson isn't happy, and. The Bears openly like, well, you know, if we can if we can make a deal or if we can, you know, put together the right trade package, basically just feeding these myths, not feeding these myths, but basically it's kind of feeding this propaganda to a fan base that is absolutely thirsty for a quarterback. They're they're yeah. mad. They are mad oh, online. It's, they yeah. are they are they are so mad about about not to you not to go full super fans, but they are very mad about the the Bears right now. Um, and as someone who is rooted for all kinds of awful teams, and I'm just like I feel a certain degree of sympathy for Bears fans. It, it they 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 are mad online right now. If if you see a Bears fan on the internet, don't don't say anything rude to them because they'll just go off. I have I have a few Bears fans on my phone and. I have not said a word because one, you know, who cares? Uh, <laughs> two, like, we kind of like as soon as we started seeing the photoshops of Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson in Bears jerseys, Ooh, I knew stuff. then. I knew as, then. As a, as a veteran of say the the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson, Nick's photoshops. Once the clutch points imagery starts popping up, you know your team is in very bad shape. Yes. Someone, by the way, I, I would really love a long-form article on whoever is responsible for clutch points is absolutely gonzo. Sean Hyken's going to do that whenever he gets the opportunity. I'm going to guess Sean Hyken. I really, 
locked in. As, as yeah, Hiken as as a chronicler of like weird socialist Celtics Twitter, that feels very much like something that's up his beat. Like I want to know what the artistic process is for some of the absolutely deranged imagery <laughs> points puts out into the world. But that shit is delightful. Um, all right, well that's it for us the sports reporters we're all sports reporters again because andrew is at the detroit free press where he's an assistant sports editor we have bob up there covering sports um yeah (laughs) sports are going up uh up there in the northeast guys thank you as always for the time and we'll be back next week We're back. The Atlanta sports guys were reconvened on this Friday afternoon where I am using just one of my ears to listen to the nonsense about Trey Young's importance to the Atlanta Hawks and the seven game win streak and not trading John Collins and everything is coming up Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks. That is, it is my fellow Atlanta sports guys, Garrett Chapman down there in Atlanta and Max Markovich. Guys, how are you doing? We're good. Good. Yeah. Um, Beautiful day down here. I'm excited to get outside. I love it. It's not like that in Knoxville. I thought this was an exclusively, I thought this was an exclusive Nathan Knight appreciation podcast, man. (laughs) He's so good. Nathan Knight in that dunk last night was very, very rude. Ooh. No, that that took me, uh, that took me to a different place, man. That, that dunk was incredible. Unbelievable. I, oh, God. I don't know what to think about this. He came out of nowhere. Nathan Knight, it also just, uh, let's get Bruno Fernando out of here. Like, he should never step on the court ever again. Like, I never, never again. I can't handle it anymore. He's, he's out of here. Nathan Knight just, uh, he's so funny. I don't know who he reminds me of. Like, maybe a little Rayshon Holmes. I don't know. Like, who does he remind you guys of? I don't know, but if, if, if Anyeka Kongwu was doing what Nathan Knight is doing, we'd Mm -hmm. be freaking out. That's all I'm saying. I, he's just like an afterthought in my mind now. Like he is just someone that uh, yeah. it, this is a this is a write off for him. Um, we have to talk about the Hawks, guys. They've won seven straight, um, still undefeated since uh, Nate McMillan took over. Um, what do what do we think about the job? And have you noticed, Max? We'll start with you. Have you noticed any like when you're watching these games and you're and you're just ingesting everything that's going on here? Have you really noticed? a way in which they're playing differently, noticeably different than the way they play with Lloyd Pierce. Is there anything specific that you can pinpoint? I mean, the most specific and most obvious point to make is the fourth quarter performance, which I don't know how much to credit to Nate McMillan, but like, it doesn't hurt that they are now one of the best fourth quarter teams in the league after being one of the worst um, for Lloyd Pierce's tenure. Um, I don't know. I'm trying not to get too high just like I wasn't, I was trying not to get too low when they weren't playing well because um, to me it's still just about health and about all the moving pieces and trying to get everyone um, up to speed together. And Bogey's in back and he was really good last night um, and that's really good. Um, and DeAndre Hunter's coming back and that's really good. They beat up on some really bad teams, um, which I think is worth pointing out. Some really bad teams and some really shorthanded teams, but it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to nitpick seven straight wins, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, seven wins are seven wins, you know. I mean, it's still the NBA, and you still got to go out there and and perform. But yeah, like you like you said, Max. I mean, like it's not like we're the the Hawks went out and beat the uh, the Clippers or the Lakers or something like that. I mean, they, they'll have their opportunity. I think those are the next two games that they have. But um, I mean, look, you got to 
play the schedule that's given to you, and that's what they've been doing, and they've been doing really well. Um, but to your question, I don't know if anything's necessarily different. Um, I, I, I think the team looks like it's playing with more confidence. I mean, I think that's probably the best thing that I could say about it. I don't, but I don't know about if Nate, McMill, Nate, Nate McMillan is actually doing anything tangibly different. Uh, the team just looks better. Uh, I, I mean, it, that's all I can really say. I mean, like, I don't think he's fundamentally doing anything different, but I don't know. The results are the results are there, and that's all I care about. That being said, the schedule is about to get really bad for the Hawks. We're about yeah. to learn a lot about the Atlanta Hawks in the next uh, few weeks because they will be at Los Angeles, uh, both LA teams, at Lakers, at Clippers, at Sacramento, at Golden State, at Denver, at Phoenix, at San Antonio, at Pelicans before coming back to golden state like this is just going to be a really brutal brutal week and this is the kind of stretch where you're like i just want to go like four and six like i want to go five and five best case scenario um garrett how concerned are you about the schedule uh i don't think concerned is the right word i'm it, it, i'm very eager i'm excited to see what the this actual the actual hawks team i mean i mean like this is this is where we're gonna really see who they are and it's going to be tough. I, I, we had Nate McMillan on, I think, two days ago in 1999, and he said that the this is by far and only the longest road trip he's ever been on. I mean, this guy's coached how many hundreds and hundreds of basketball games? I mean, this is this is an absurd road trip. Um, eight consecutive games. It's not even the fact that they're eight road games. It's eight road games on the West Coast against some of the teams with the best record in the NBA. I mean, my God. <laughs> So I'm I'm not concerned. I'm I'm more eager. I just want to see what this Hawks team can do. And look, if if we can pull out four wins, I think that's incredible. And I, I think I mean like the Hawks are now fifth in the East. I don't think that there are any other teams here in the in the Eastern Conference who are really going to pass us per se. So we just got to get through it. Um, it's just it's just one of those stretches. I mean, like I said before, it's the NBA. You got to do what you got to do. And uh, I think we're about to learn a lot about the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I am. Um... Uh, like I'll just be clear, I'm I'm not as optimistic about this stretch. I'm a little concerned that they're going to come back down to earth. Um, I don't think they're going to be in that middle tier. I think we're going to be closer to the playing game once uh, this all settles and once more of the schedule unfolds. Um, I don't know. I just I think there are going to be new questions about uh, the rotation when uh, Hunter comes back and uh, Chris Dunn is. Uh, apparently inching closer fingers crossed um on that one reddish looks like he's gonna be out for a while um that doesn't sound good with his achilles stuff um i don't know i just i think there's gonna be more questions about the rotation more questions about getting certain guys like capella will be back and uh i don't know um i'm fascinated to see how nate millen juggles all of this but um does it seem like gallo and bogey are turning the corner two important uh summer signings um for the hawks i guess well winter because of when the season started but uh off-season signings um max what do you what do you make of gallo during this stretch and bogey yeah um i just want to circle back quickly to the schedule and then i'll touch mm. on gallo and bogey um I, I think it's it's actually an opportunity because to me it's, it's like if they go 500 if they go five and five in the next 10 that almost tells you more about who they are as a team than when they won seven in a row against you know the rockets and whoever like it's like it's an opportunity to say, you know, if we can tread water against the best teams in the league on the road during a ten game road stretch, that tells you more about the Hawks. Um and so in that sense I'm pretty excited just to see. Um on Gallo and Bogey, I, I think 
Um, had we exercised a little bit of patience, we, we could have definitely seen this coming. I mean, these are, these are really much more indicative of who these two players are and why the Hawks signed them. And, you know, we can quibble with, like, the decisions to sign them, and I'm, I'm sure we will. Um, but, but these are the players you're getting when you sign them. And so those are still, like, very impactful, important players to a team that was one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league last year. Um, and we kind of gloss over that, but it's really important. Those are two elite shooters added to a team that couldn't make threes last year, and that was, like, one of the biggest Achilles heels. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's encouraging – and I think we also still gloss over a little bit the fact that they have done this um, and gone through a significant portion of their season without probably their second most important player um, who will be back soon. Um, and so I, you know, as you can probably sense, I'm a little more optimistic than, than Chase is about all of this, um, but I'm definitely excited for this next stretch to see how real all of it is. Yeah, I... I want to see it. I want to see what they look like. I want to see um, what this team is really built around and like what a really pretty healthy Atlanta Hawks looks like. But um, this is, I mean, without Hunter and Reddish a part of this, is, it's just kind of weird. Um, and Tony Snell just being as important yeah. as he is. I think all three of us can at least agree that Tony Snell just... And, and at, I don't even know what to what that, that word day, to describe period. him as. Tony Snell, period. Yeah, just Tony Snell. Um, the Blackberry savior uh that none of us thought would uh, <laughs> come about like he's just good he's got really good chemistry with collins he does his role like the cardio king is just um he's just a really solid player and is a fixture in our rotation now and uh, is an important cog to keeping this thing rolling um garrett what is the best thing you can say about tony snell's play with this this group in the starting lineup uh since he got inserted well i mean he's leading the league in three-point shooting <laughs> i mean that's incredible. I mean, it, it, he's on pace for um, an NBA record in, in terms of three-point percentage. I mean, I think the, the old record was at Cal Corver at like 53% or something like that. This guy's shooting almost 57% from three. I mean, that, that speaks for itself. And, I mean, honestly, I don't know how you take him out of the starting lineup. I mean, even DeAndre Hunter's going to come back. I mean, how, how is he going to distribute these minutes? The rotation's just going to be incredible. I, I, I don't... I don't know. It's a great problem to have. Um, but, I mean, Tony Snell playing at this level. Bogey looks like he's coming back. Gallinari's playing better. I mean, I don't know how Nate McMillan's going to feed all of these mouths. But, I mean, man, oh, man. I mean, that's a, it's a great problem to have. Um, but Tony Snell, I mean, I don't know how you take him out of the starting lineup. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, DeAndre Hunter is incredible. And he, needs to, he probably needs to be a starter. But, I mean, Tony Snell, <laughs> that's all i got to say. <laughs> Max, what do you think? I mean, yeah, it's like, Chase, you were talking about the rotation as like uh, this problem that they have to figure out. Um, it's a really good problem. They have not had this many good NBA players in years. I mean, it's been like, you know, Never. you're, figure, you're trying to decide how, <laughs> how you can take Tony Snell out of the lineup, um, which like I, I think that these problems tend to, quote-unquote problems, tend to sort of sort themselves out. Like, you can, you can bring DeAndre Hunter off the bench at the beginning to sort of ease him back. He has to start when he's fully healthy, obviously. Um, you can bring Bogdanovich, Gallinari, any of those guys off the bench, and, like, they're fine. They, they'll, they'll still play big minutes. They'll still, you know, get their shots, all of that. Um, See, I pull Herder. Yeah. I would pull Herder. He's the one I would pull out of the starting Herder, lineup. Herder's the forgotten guy. It's like, I almost wish he could go elsewhere to kind of flourish. I really like him. I, I just really like his game and all of that. Um but I don't know 
like where he fits in here in the long term. Uh, maybe I mean, he doesn't. He's just not but... one of the guys that can pay. Like it's just unless he took like an unreal yeah. discount. Like there's just there's no avenue to keeping Kevin Herter. Like he's just not not gonna get. It's just there's no avenue. Like I don't understand how you can keep like this. This is what Schlink has to worry about, especially when you pay Gallo and certain guys. It's like no, if you're gonna give Trey the max and you have Capella locked in, you have Gallo locked in, you're gonna have to pay DeAndre Hunter. It's just we'll and an see eventual what eventual max. Eventual Max for Nathan Knight, I assume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't roll that out. Can't roll that out. <laughs> Got to go ahead and pencil that one in. Um, yeah, no. Kevin Herter is just not someone I expect them to, to keep around. But he's quietly having a very... His past couple games... Yeah, he's, he's good. He's been just wildly consistent. The floater I mean, looking, king. I'm just looking it up. Yeah, he's... he's I mean, 12.7 points. He's looking like he's... It's solid. 41 from the field, 32 from three. Four rebounds, three and a half assists. I mean, one and one and a half steals. I mean, that's just perfect yeah. for a role player. I exactly. mean, considering what is he the fourth option on, on for the scoring option, and he's averaging twelve and twelve and a half points. That's really good. That's he doesn't really demand good. the ball. Indicative like of he's, the, the success he's, of the Hawks. He's sneaky on cuts. He's sneaky on the way he's able to. Like when I say floaters, like his bread and butter is like he he goes home after a tough day at the office, and he's like, let me watch CJ McCollum for three and a half hours and then he's like let me do like a third of what mccollum does and that's that's my game but like team teams don't expect him to be able to do that and yeah no it's always one off like he comes off these curls and he like leans in like it's just he shoots the exact same way everywhere but um no it works for him no he's playing good basketball and i mean and it's a credit to nate mcmillan too because he's kept him in the starting lineup i mean bogdan was he was signed to be a starter he was signed to be that guy, and now that he's off the minutes restriction, he kept Kevin Herter in there because he's playing good basketball. And I think that's a credit to Nate McMillan. I mean, he's playing the hot hand, and he's done a really good job with it. So, um, I mean, I, I don't think you can really go wrong as long as it's – I mean, people are playing a pretty even dis- distribution of minutes. I mean, I, I think the past couple of games, I think only a handful of people have actually gone over 30 minutes. And I think it was Trey, like once or twice. Because everyone's just playing good basketball. And I think this is great. Like Max, Max and I were saying, it's a great problem to have. That's fair. That's we, fair. Have not, we have not mentioned John Collins' name one time, and I feel like that's malpractice. Well, well <laughs> I, hold on. I, I think you and – like, that's the main event of the Hawks conversation, guys. Is okay, okay. I wasn't the, sure. I wasn't sure. The John Collins aspect of all of this. Because we have been texting back and forth all week about what's ultimately going to happen i just (laughs) maybe it's just uh the clue just clairvoyant chase has logged on logged into the chat guys and restrictive free agent guys they don't go well when you let a player that believes he is a cornerstone piece get to this point in the summer we've seen it time and time again like remember how pissed off gordon hayward was when the jazz let him go searching and then he went to charlotte at that point and got the offer sheet and the the jazz match and all that but it was never the same. Then he ended up leaving. I I think the the, the relationship's over. Like John Collins, like not paying him and not getting it done before the season, uh, it's over. And he is not someone who you can pay. It is GM malpractice to pay him, Gallinari, and Capella just an absurd amount of money. You just you can't do it. It's just not the way you team build in 2021. It's just bad. Um, I would also just um, let me check my notes here. Not trade Luka Doncic. Um, but also, Collins Ooh, is good. There. Collins is good, <laughs> and he's playing really well at the five. Like that's been one of the bigger things for him as of late. Without Capella, he's he's playing well. He's shooting well. Um, 
he does a lot of good stuff. He helps basketball teams. Like he does a lot of important things down low. He his shots improved. He his playmaking is improved. He's not the playmaker that he thinks he is, but um, you know, he's really good at lobs. He has really good chemistry with Tony Snell coming off those um coming off screens there and uh he's just a really guy he's a really difficult guy to handle inside and um him and trey have no chemistry whatsoever that it's no like i remember i took notes in the first quarter i guess this was maybe the rockets game or the game before it i think it was the game before it where trey's only like all trey did was he draw he drew three fouls the the three pesky fouls that are just going to drive people insane um for the foreseeable future in the NBA and Tony Snell had like three different lobs to Collins and the way Collins was getting the ball was from Herder or from Snell or from literally anybody other than Trey. And it was just something interesting. I, I just, they, they do their own thing. They play two different, uh, it's like they're on the court together, but they, uh, they pretend the other doesn't exist um, from a basketball standpoint. I don't know, man. That, that uh, Trey Young had a pretty, pretty nice, uh, what was he threw the ball up off the glass last night to John Collins? Mm-hmm. Well, to be fair, he thought it was Nathan Knight, and then he was immediately disgruntled <laughs> that it was uh, the wrong guy. Oh man, <laughs> no, nah, Nathan Knight. No, Nathan Knight likes to, he, he prefers to dunk on people. I think that's his preference. <laughs> well, so does Collins. Collins is not afraid yeah. to to dunk on people with lobs. But I don't know. I just think, like you guys said, they're playing too well. It's not like they're going to trade him. There's interest and stuff like that, but he's an RFA. He didn't get the money offered to him that the Hawks or that he wanted from the Hawks. Um, we know the stuff behind the scenes with Trey is not great. I just there's no there's no recipe for this to end well, and they're going to end up losing the Collins stuff because they're. I guess the hope is a trade exception, and they do what the what Boston did with Gordon Hayward this past offseason. But like, there's just no way this ends well because you can't trade him, and then you're not going to match whatever he gets in the open market. And then it's like, well, what, what what do we do here? What, what how did this happen in a, over a year stretch? Um, Garrett, uh, make the case for John Collins. And does any of that make sense? I mean, I think you he does have chemistry with Trey Young. I, I don't I don't really I, I disagree. I disagree. I think they played really well together. I mean, they they look good on the court together. They play good basketball. Um, but and I mean, they could still go out and sign him once the season ends. I mean, I don't think that's that's. Everyone like kind of like written that off as like a as not a possibility. I mean, John Collins could still have interest in playing here in here in Atlanta. And what if he comes down? What if he comes down and accepts the what they they offered preseason, which I think it was like three years, ninety 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 five million. I mean, he could come down and accept that if if he wants to win basketball games here in Atlanta and be a part of the growth that we've seen. I mean, this is a much better Hawks team. This isn't the team that drafted him uh, with that seventeenth pick and then proceeded to royally suck for the foreseeable future um this is a different team and honestly i mean but cuts are gonna have to be made somewhere we talked about this with kevin herter um you're not gonna be able to feed everybody not everybody's gonna get these large extravagant contracts and if he wants that then he would probably have to go elsewhere because he's not gonna get a max contract here from atlanta i don't see that happening i don't see that i don't i just don't think the hawks have the money um, I know you have bird, bird rights and everything like that, so they could theoretically go over, but I just don't see him as a guy who's worth a max contract, but somebody might. And if somebody's willing to pay him that, then he's gone. Uh, because I don't think the Hawks are going to pony that kind of money up. But he's still a good basketball player. I'm, I'm excited that he's going to be on this team. Uh, I mean, he's averaging 20 points a game. He's been a 2010 guy just about his entire career here in Atlanta. And now he's shooting 35, 40% from three. I mean, he's he's a critical like piece of this team. 
And I think he's going to be a reason why we make the playoff run. And hopefully that's part of their pitch to him in this offseason and he sticks around. But I, I don't know. It, it all depends on the money. That's what I think it comes down to. And I just don't know if the Hawks are ready to pony up. Max, what do you think? Yeah, I'd like to make a more formidable case, to be honest. Um, I it, We're talking about the Hawks as if they're like completely cap-strapped, which they kind of are, but it's not really... I don't think it's as entrenched as we're making it out to be. Um, and so if you consider... Like, like Capella and Gallinari after this year will have two more years on their deal each at about 50, between 15 and 20 million, I think, for each of them. Um, that's not like, you know, some crazy deal that you can't get off of at some point. Point, especially when they're expiring contracts. Trade which doesn't in until um, I don't know, do the math. The final year of those deals, I guess. Um, if you if you believe your core is Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, and John Collins, which you can make a case that that's a really good core that you want to stick with, you can do that. You can completely do that, and you can replace eventually what Capella gives you. You can replace event. You can definitely replace eventually what Gallinari gives you, um, and. You can make that work. Um, it's clear based on their past actions that before this season, they were not sold on that being the core three um, for whatever reason. And we don't know. We have to ask Travis Link. Um, whether that's changed this year or not, I don't know. We can say for certain. So I'm not going to rule out. For, for one, you can't trade him right now. You just can't do that. Um, this team's playing too well. You can't do that. You could. Your options are sign and trade him after the year. Um, match an offer that comes in. We don't know what offer that'll be or let him walk. Um, I think letting him walk would be really stupid for obvious reasons, but I don't think it's crazy to say that you just want to roll with those three as your core. Pay Trey, eventually pay DeAndre, pay Collins and fill out the roster from there. Whoa. Um, Reddish out of your, out of your core already. Well, right now he kind of has to be right. Yeah. Come on. I mean, it's no mistake. I mean, y'all are hurting my feelings. Y'all are hurting my feelings. I can't handle this. We win seven games in a row. We can't even we can't even discuss DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish in the same sentence anymore. No, like they're not in the same stratosphere. Well, now the the fear of mine is they're playing too well, and the vets are just like you're going to have to. To reinsert Cam into an important part of this rotation, like the the wins have to be sacrificed a little bit, and they're gonna have five man units that just get beat and are minus that. four, and you can't when you're in a playoff chase. So like Cam is actually gonna get fizzled out just because they can't afford to lose those twelve minutes of him being on the floor. Like they just can't. I mean, can you justify playing Cam over Tony Snell right now? Or um, whenever he comes I back, I think like, once you signed everybody, you signed you can't. Um, but before this season, yes. Before the season, before the playoff expectations, before the signings, before they just went all in on making the playoffs this year, yes, you absolutely could. Now, no, you've chosen a path. You've chosen a path that, like, we're expediting this rebuild. We are um, throwing our hands up, admitting that (laughs) we cannot develop all four of these guys, and someone's going to have to be the fall guy, and I think you guys are right. Like, Cam appears to be the fall guy here, um, but they deserve a, a big F and uh, big, big F in developing the most talented player because he has the most amount of skills, the most amount of upside of anyone of this group and him not turning out to be um, a really great player is it falls on them, but I just don't think they're going to, the, the timelines no longer match um, in a way that's going to 
be fruitful. And this was my biggest concern going into the year of these signings. I'm like, man, I just would do another full year of Trey Collins, Capella, Hunter, and Reddish just getting a shit ton of minutes together. And even if you lose a lot, at least then you learn what you have. Because look at Anthony Edwards. Like, he was awful. Awful. The first part of the season. Now he's shooting like 50% from three since after the All-Star break. And he's really breaking out. I'm not saying he would be Anthony Edwards. But there is something to just how fucking awful Minnesota was by playing a bunch of young guys. And let it like just throwing them out there. And Anthony Edwards is figuring it out. And that's part of young guys development in this league. Is like you just have to play them a bunch of minutes. And they either sink or swim for a lot of these lottery guys. Um, Steph was turning the ball over an unreal amount when he was uh, taking over for Jared Jack and Monte Ellis. And um, that was a concern, but then it suddenly wasn't because he figured it out. I just, I don't think Cam will ever get the opportunity in Atlanta to figure it out and to fail over and over and over again for a nine month stretch before he hopefully figures it out. And that's a shame because Schlink did him wrong. Uh, It looks like the development staff did him wrong and I will not forgive them. I, I've checked my notes here. I will not forgive them for uh, stunting and uh, ruining my Cam Reddish pipe dream of being the next Paul George. But can we talk about another? Can we talk about another part of these guys' development, which mm-hmm. is that when you when you can win, like how valuable would playoff minutes be for DeAndre Hunter this year? Like, yeah, like so valuable. Like, and if you're going to give them an F for Cam Reddish, which I I, I think. Where the blame should lie. Premature. Um, I don't know. I still think it's premature. Yeah, but if you're going to give them an but A, go ahead, go ahead, Reddish, yeah, yeah. for Cam Reddish, then when you give him an A for DeAndre Hunter, right? Yes. And if you hit on one of those, if you hit on one of those two guys as elite three and D two way wings in the NBA, you have done your job in that draft. Like, like hitting on one out of the two is a win. Period. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I I don't know if like if Cam Reddish like will ever work out. But I also don't think the Hawks um, should sacrifice any part of a season that looks like it could, like they could be the four seed, like it, they could be the five seed, whatever. Um, and if you can do that, you do that, period. And, and if getting Bogdanovich and Gallinari sort of compromises um, a year and a half of development that has shown mostly not much from Cam Reddish, um, and you can make the playoffs, you do it. Um, and, and I think that's another card, like another side of this development is like, you can make the playoffs, Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter in a playoff series. That's so so valuable. That's fair. That's fair. oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he's he's a good player. I mean, I I still think he could be a good player. I mean, he may not be Paul George, but it's okay because like like Max said, we could have had we we could have drafted a Kawhi Leonard. Like this guy, DeAndre Hunter is an animal. He can guard. He, he can do everything. And I mean, we've said it time and time again. This guy's really damn good. Um. And I, I agree tenfold with him. And they're like, look, if you can get one guy out of that draft that, that turns into an all-star, if you won, that's really all that matters. And I'm not quite ready to give up on Cam Reddish, and I still think he can play like a, a decent amount of minutes and, and still develop. Um, maybe he's trade bait or something down the line. He could still be of use to the Hawks somehow um, because that talent, he does lose that talent. Maybe he just needs a different situation. Uh, but... I don't know, man. I'm 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 not a hundred percent ready to give up on him, but he has been extremely frustrating to watch. I will admit. All right. Well, let's talk about the Falcons quickly, guys. Um, the Falcons doing some stuff. Matt Ryan restructures this contract. There's been uh, some discourse about whether or not this means that they are now out of taking a quarterback at number four, or this is not what they could, are going to end up doing. Alex Mack 
signed with the 49ers reuniting with Kyle Shanahan. Um, the Falcons signed a safety as we expected because they did not have one after uh, moving on from everybody. Um, and Eric Harris, uh, let's talk about the Matt Ryan restructure. What, uh, what do we make of what this signals for Terry Fontenot and Kyle Smith in this front office that where their heads at for Matt Ryan in the next couple of years of Falcons football, Garrett? Well, I mean, they committed, they're committing to, uh, Matt Ryan. I mean, at least next year and the year after that. I mean, look, I, this dead cap money, I think it went from, here, let me see, it, it went from $26.5 million next year to 40.5, just in dead cap. That's, oh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And they just keep kicking the can down the road. And I think Terry Fontenot didn't want to do this. I think he, he I, I saw a report about that. But, I mean, he kind of had to because that was like kind of the last ditch effort of saying, hey, if we're going to get under the cap, it has to happen this way. Um, and I, I, some people, people are disagreeing. They, some people say that this signals that the Atlanta Falcons aren't going to draft a quarterback at, at the, with that fourth pick. Some people argue the complete opposite. They say, well, this doesn't mean anything. He could still, they could still draft a quarterback. But you guys know where I stand on that. I still think that we can, tra- we can trade back or get some value there. But, I mean, the Atlanta Falcons were really in a precarious situation. And uh, Thomas Dimitrov really left this team in a bad situation um a lot of bad contracts a lot of a lot a lot of money invested into not very many players um and terry fontenot he's got his work cut out for him and he's got a he's got a long long road ahead and really i mean you're kind of strapped for cash we we're talking about the hawks being strapped for cash but damn they've a falcons not in good shape um and they're gonna have to pay the piper eventually and I, uh, it's gonna be rough when they finally do Max, what do you think? Ooh, it's bleak, man. Um, this whole offseason is pretty bleak. Um, also, let's say they may not have the- to ever pay the piper. Sorry to cut you off, Max, because the Saints just keep signing people and keep restructuring and signing everybody. So I don't know if that's actually true. I- I'm not sure if you'll ever. Uh, hopefully, yeah. we stole a little bit of that magic with Terry Fondo. That's, I mean, good God. <laughs> well, I kind of thought this was the offseason to sort of pay the piper and suck it up, take the cap. Um, take the cap hit, don't keep pushing it down the line and open up your options. Um, I kind of think they're like those quotes about, about, um, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what Terry Fonda wanted to do, but he kind of had to. Ooh, that's tough. That's just tough to read. Um, because like, that's the only way they could get under the cap. Um, it's just such a diff, like team's not competing next year. Like I just don't, that's all I took from it. It's like, they're not improving the roster this year. They're not competing next year. Um, I, I just don't think they're taking a quarterback at four. I know they're trying to put out there that like, that, Oh, like still could like, like doesn't change anything. Yada, yada, yada. I think that's to get people to trade up to four, um, which is smart, but I just, I don't know what to make of it other than the fact that they're basically soft committing to him for the next two years. And if they're soft committing to him the next two years, it would be dumb to take a quarterback at four. And you guys know I've been on take quarterback at four, take quarterback at four this whole time. But I kind of just assumed they'd be able to move off of Matt Ryan after this year. Um, I don't think I don't think that's in the plan as of now. I'll just say it that way. I don't think it's possible. I mean, a forty yeah. million dollar cap hit is a, a, a just dead money. That's just dead money. They would only save eight million dollars. And, and what? I, that's that's an obscene amount of money. I, I just don't see how you can draft. You can justify drafting quarterback at four. Uh, I just don't. It's just so frustrating. It's just, it's so frustrating because, you know, everyone brings up the Saints as sort of like, you know, 
making, you know, finessing the cap to work and signing all these players despite seemingly having no cap space, yada, yada, yada. And those are, those tricks are fine. Um, if you're, if you're the Saints and you're making the playoffs every year, um, but it's not fine for a four and 12 team to, to sort of be like pushing that can down the road. Like, like you have to just deal with it. And I, I think that they kind of just don't know whether they want to full reset or not. And the presence of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones makes it tough to like completely nuke it. Um, but man, it just seems like they're making no choice at all. And like, there's just like, like sitting in that in between that does nobody any good. Well, I disagree. I, I don't think that they're, they're they're a better team than four and twelve. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we I think we talked about this at one point a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they were four and twelve, and then they're coming off the two seven and nine seasons. And I but I don't blame guys like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones for that. And I think that Arthur Smith, I think can come. He's an unknown, obviously, so I don't want to put expectations on it necessarily. But I mean, he could come in, and, and this team could be dramatically better just overnight. I mean, you saw you saw what Ryan Tannehill he was able to do with what he was able to do with him. Ryan Tannehill was a, was a wash. The guy was terrible. And then he, he makes, makes a trip up to, to Nashville, and all of a sudden he's a Pro Bowl quarterback. And I think Matt Ryan is a significantly better quarterback. I mean, come on. Julio Jones, he's yeah. a significantly better player. But, I mean, it, I think it all comes down to what Arthur Smith can do in year one. Um, and I think our, our tunes will change a little bit if he's able to come in and get results immediately. Um, then I think most of us would, would still be comfortable with Matt Ryan and, and, the, and the rest of the comp- the, the whole cr- the core group um, because I still think they can compete. I still think this is a playoff team next year if Arthur Smith is as advertised. Um, yeah, can but, I guarantee let me, that? No, absolutely not. Let me be clear. I, I like. I, I think they can. There's a path to them being a top ten offense next year, and it's not that hard to see how yeah. that happens. It's like, like the yeah. offense could be really good right away. I see no path to this defense being any good at all. Yeah. Like, like at all. And there's not really that much of a path right now in free agency to improve it. I mean, they've signed two guys, um, very low deals, who are kind of just like depth pieces. And unless they hit on like three or four defenders in the draft, just like hit them out of the park, um, I, like how is the defense going to be any good? Um, well, all, which makes it like really that, strange that Dean Pease came back for what, like maybe one year for this defense. Like I don't, unless Dean Pease yeah, is just like, even better than advertised, I don't see why he would come back for this one year. Dean Pease has, has been able to do work some incredible magic with with not, very not talented rosters. Like so what he did up in Nashville with Tennessee. I mean, you saw as soon as he left. I mean, the the actual talent of that roster was exposed, and it's just the effectiveness of a coordinator. And I think he could potentially come in here and make an impact to I me mean, but yeah like you said i mean th- this team needs to hit in the draft and that's one of the many reasons why i've been advocating for a trade back because most of that defensive talent unless you're going to jump on micah parsons you can drop to maybe seven i don't think you can drop really any farther than that like with the panthers pick to take parsons and I, who i think is the best defensive player in the draft um but if you want another defensive player, you if we can take a linebacker like in the, the first round, I I I think I might uh, blow a big hey, now, blood Khalil vessel. Mack, than, uh, Khalil Mack was mm-hmm. a linebacker. Von Miller is a linebacker. No, they're not. Eh, I don't linebackers. think we're calling them linebackers. Those aren't linebackers. Those mm, are edge they, rushers. That's how they were listed. That's how they were they listed are edge when, rushers. They, when they came out in the draft. Eh. Michael Parsons is an edge rusher. Michael eh. Parsons is an edge rusher. I, I, that's what I would draft him to be. Okay. Uh, I mean, he is an edge rusher. That's what I see him as. Uh, but. I mean, I think he's the best defensive player in the draft, but I don't think the Falcons necessarily take him. Um, but 
look, there's a ton of like middle round talent. So you go into the first round, second, third round, tons of defensive talent. And I think the Falcons need to trade back. I mean, pick Max, up as who much do you think will be more can. upset, uh, Garrett, if the Falcons take a quarterback at four, or myself at the Falcons trade back and take a uh, defensive guy or an offensive lineman? Say that again. Who do you think will be more upset? Who Who do you think will be oh. more upset based on which way the Falcons go? Uh, Garrett, quarterback. <laughs> I mean, no question. <laughs> That'll that'll yeah, no after this restructure, especially that'd be tough. Um, it's so it, it's just frustrating because you know we have this fourth pick, which is which is really valuable, especially in this draft. But all of the best players in this draft are at positions we don't need. Um, and to sit there at four and take anyone at this point, like any of those guys, other than the quarterbacks, would be bad value. Um, so I think they definitely need to trade back. But I also think if you're strictly going on best player available. Like, we eventually need to have a conversation about Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts and um, definitely Panay Sewell and, like, these guys who seemingly are not at quote-unquote need. Um, because if you're sitting at four, you cannot take a defensive player um, no. in this draft. So, I don't know. No, I don't know what the path Panay Sewell is, is got, I've it, warmed up to this Kyle significantly. Pitts, there was a report that floated, a report floated about the, the Falcons apparently being interested in Kyle Pitts. Did y'all see that? I saw that. Maybe like a couple, yeah. like an hour ago, something like that. I, are they actually interested? I don't know. It's probably a smokescreen. <laughs> I mean, they're just trying to generate as much interest as possible from anybody for a trade back. It's happening. Take it to the bank. It'd be fun. <laughs> it'd be fun to watch. That's all. I can. I can say it'd be fun to watch. I would love it. I'd be fine with it. I mean, look, you're drafted next Travis Kelsey. I'm. I'm all. I'm all in on that. And look, I, I'm yeah. Terry Fontenot. No, I trust until proven otherwise. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's all I've got today. Is there anything else? Uh, no really brave stuff going on yet. Uh, we're, we're inching closer and closer to opening day. But, um, yeah, I mean, unless you really have some strong Johan Camargo or Jason Kipnis as the utility guy thoughts, uh, no real brave stuff going on right now. Well, Ronald Acuna looks like a, an animal. Yes. <laughs> the dude's playing out of his mind. He's so good. It's oh good. God, I'm excited for Braves baseball, man. Yeah. And then who, do you have any uh, do you have any ups- upset picks? I think Colgate was beating Arkansas last I saw, but I think they I think Arkansas came back. It looks like do you have, uh, do you have any big Florida's going to survive. No, I don't know. Like I think Winthrop was something I was circling as a upset pick. Um, Michigan for sure going down. Um, and round one, I think uh, we can all agree on that front. Um, Tennessee running the table. I think is a guarantee. Uh, just Tennessee. Oh God! I, I think that's something we got to pencil in. Um, those are my my strongest feelings. I don't know about you guys. I think I have Winthrop in the. Uh, oh no! In one of them, I have Winthrop making it to the Sweet Sixteen. Mm. Yeah, I think every. I think most every year since like 1985, when they expanded, there's been at least one double digit team in the in the Sweet Sixteen. Interesting. But no, I have Michigan losing round two. Sorry, Max. Mm. <laughs> LSU. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know. It's no, gonna be fun. I mean, I'm, it's my favorite time of year. Max is already having a great weekend based on Michigan State last night. I'm sure he's already okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's all house money from here. As long as we go farther than them, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> so all you got to do is beat Texas Southern. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that are. <laughs> is all I've got this week. Um, we'll be back 
next week. Good to have the gang back together. Maybe we'll have some more Falcon stuff unfolding, more defensive signings, the Braves doing some more stuff, uh, the Hawks. Maybe they sweep the L.A. teams. We'll have that to talk about. We we shall see. Um, Stay safe out there, my friends, um, and we will be back next week. Sounds good. Awesome. All right, we're back on the Chase House Podcast. Rocky Top. Let's rock. I don't know. I'm over volcanic takes. Don't like it anymore. I woke up one day a couple days ago, Ryan, and I was like, done. Done with it. Don't like it. Wrote some stuff down. Wrote Rocky Top. Let's rock. It's fun to say out loud, and uh, that is what I'm going with at the moment. Ryan Shumpert of the UT Daily Beacon is here. Ryan, good afternoon. How are you? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm doing well. I uh, I hadn't gotten the news on the name change, but I, I kind of, it does sound fun to say. I like it. So, um, yeah, it's an exciting time, exciting day in uh, Knoxville. I'm driving through middle of Kentucky right now, going to Indianapolis, uh, ready for an exciting weekend of some Tennessee basketball. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Ryan. We we hope it's an exciting weekend for Tennessee basketball. Let let's hope. Um, well, let's just start there because ultimately this is um, what all Tennessee fans are going to be looking at. It's interesting. A friend of mine, once the brackets were revealed a couple of days ago, Ryan was like, "Oh, there, we should at least be in the Sweet 16." And it's interesting to me when I just talk with other Tennessee fans, and they're just they're so certain. I'm just like, how do you have a strong opinion on where Tennessee... Like, it would not surprise me at all if Tennessee laid an egg this afternoon against Oregon State. Like, they just run the table in the Pac-12. Like, they're they're a solid team. Um, they both switch a lot on defense. Like, they kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways. But um, I don't know. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon State beat Tennessee today. It also wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee won big and Keon balled out and uh this team righted the ship like i don't know i have no idea what what about you i mean yeah it's hard <laughs> being certain is about the hardest thing to be with this team i don't yeah. understand how anyone could be certain consistency has been the last thing this team's had all year now it does seem like they've put together three straight pretty solid games that'll be at about take about five minutes out of that second half of the alabama game where they kind of collapsed but you know, I guess that's why people are feeling more confident. The three straight, you know, pretty solid performances. But I am with you. It's hard to it's hard to feel confident or, or comfortable about anything with this team. Yeah, I just I don't I don't get it. Um, so when you think about how this game is going to go today, so there will be some listeners who listen to it after um, this game happens. Um, what are you looking for? What are some matchups you're intrigued by? How do you think Tennessee matches up with Oregon State? And how do you think this game ultimately unfolds? This is your chance to be clairvoyant, yeah. Ryan. Yeah, well, I think first you have to like the matchup for Tennessee getting Oregon State. Now, you're, that's certainly a game Tennessee can lose. There's no doubt about that, like we were just saying. But I think you look at here's the good and the bad, I think, with the matchup. The bad, two good guards for Oregon State, and I think that's the thing you've seen this year. Teams that really just rely on one main guard. Tennessee's done a pretty good job of maybe down but containing all you know Trey Mann last week was probably the one exception of someone that's really been able to go off against them they've been able to contain guys 
when they've been able to rotate Josiah James, Keon Johnson, James Springer on them, throw fresh guys at them. So I think that's maybe the bad two two guys shooting the ball well from three right now. We know that's a way you can attack Tennessee. Where I think it may be a little bit of a good matchup is if you don't have John Fulkerson, which you know there's been nothing official from Tennessee. I don't. I'd be a little surprised if he were to play against Oregon State. I think you look at you look at the way Oregon State's bigs. They have Silva, big seven footer. I think that matches up well for what Tennessee seems like they're moving more towards Euros Plus that's coming off the bench. And that's a matchup I think will help Tennessee, as you saw the Vols kind of have to play a plus that's laid against Alabama and certainly not a good matchup. And he really struggled on the defensive end late in that game. So what is uh, what is your, your gut telling you about how this game will eventually unfold? I think I think Tennessee will be up by around five in most of the game. Now, I do think they're going to have a patent in – three, four-minute scoring drought at some point. I think it's going to be mm. all about surviving that, and I think I think they will. I think they win. Honestly, I like the line right at eight. I kind of think that's pretty good. I'd, I'd say eight, ten-point win for Tennessee. Um, what do you what do you make of Fulkerson at the moment? I've lost you again. Okay, now you're back. What, what were you saying? You cut out uh, again. Fulkerson, uh, what, do you, what do you think is going to be the situation for Folky this weekend? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee hasn't said anything on him. I kind of feel doubtful that he plays, especially on Friday. To me, Sunday is where you really need him because, you know, not to look ahead too far, but if you were to get Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham, I think East Ponds is pretty clearly the guy you want to put on the 6-8 Cunningham. Now I'd imagine Josiah James would run on him too. But then if you don't have Fulkerson, then Ponds is going to be forced to guard some bigs. Now I know Oklahoma State isn't super big, so – Maybe Tennessee could get flexible with the matchups and play some, you know, Keon or Josiah on the five. But I think that's where it'll be really big. Tennessee and need Fulkerson. You know, possibly plays by Sunday. You know, I'm kind of on the I'm gonna have to see it to believe it train, but I certainly don't think it's impossible. I mean, obviously no one at the university's rolled him out at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't know what ultimately happens here, but it, it's just a bummer because like I think this team really figured it out and they talked a lot about that layoff at the end of February and beginning of March to get right and Barnes talked about Viscovi's hip being fully back to normal and he's hitting threes again. It was just like, oh, things are starting to work out again and then uh, Folky gets a devastating double cheap shot um, against Florida. So um, when you think about the SEC title, or the SEC championship game with, or SEC championship game, the SEC tournament game uh, against Alabama and how that ultimately unfolded. Um, are you concerned that that is going to linger for this Tennessee basketball team? Not really. Um, you know, I I will admit, I mean, credit to Tennessee, they kind of, you don't see a ton of honesty a lot of times in post game, but players kind of said they got rattled in that stretch. And, you know, I think that may be a little bit of a problem, but I mean, that's just kind of the reality of Tennessee this year. If you, you give them a lot of ball pressure, there's going to be times where they struggle and they go on few-minute runs where they turn the ball over four or five times and it, it really kills them. So that was the big I mean, the big problem against Alabama. You look at that game, Alabama was able to get it to a one-point game with 12 minutes and then Tennessee played them even the rest of the way. It was just one five-minute stretch that haunted them. But they've had those stretches haunt them all season, so it's hard to think now that that's just going to go away. But the other problem is against Alabama. I still think you have to be encouraged. I really like the way John Johnson starting to play. You saw him have a great first half, a little bit less, you know, didn't play as well in the second half. But he also had Herb Jones, SEC defense player of the year, guarding him, who's 
two inches two inches taller than him and really long wingspan. And we obviously know Keon Johnson's not going to shoot a whole lot of jump shots over people. So it was a tough matchup. I like the way he's playing, and I think he he'll be key for Tennessee going going forward. The baseball team we uh, we saw the the sweep against Georgia State in person a few weeks back, Ryan. But um, they're still playing well. Top ten team. The SEC just uh, filling up the the top ten in college baseball this season. Um, what do you make of the walk off against East Tennessee in the big weekend ahead uh, against Georgia? Yeah, I mean, talk about that was one of the ETSU game on Tuesday. I guess it was was by far the most exciting midweek game I, I've watched, and honestly, as exciting as many games I've watched since I've been at Tennessee. And you know, those ETSU games tend to be intense. They got a lot of Knoxville kids on the ETSU team, a lot of kids who probably would like to be playing at Tennessee. And you're not going to get make the huge, huge deal about a win over ETSU, but I think it just kind of exemplifies. You've seen this team win all games a lot of ways close, coming from behind, low-scoring games, high-scoring games. So you've seen them win in a lot of different ways. You've seen this team play with an attitude, and they've gone on the road, played five road games. So I think they're especially given the fact that they haven't played like a big Big 12 team or ACC program, I think they're about as prepared as you can be going into SEC play this weekend. Mm. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, they've been good, and the walk-off was cool, and it was an all-time great bat flip. Um, yeah, it was. I, I was very much here for it. Um, also kind of weird that he bats fifth in the lineup with how good he is and where he'll probably get drafted. I don't really understand why he's in the, the five spot, but... Um, that is not my uh, my area of expertise, perhaps. Um, let's talk about Tennessee football, the wide receiver room. Um, there's <laughs> We have a lot of transfers all over the defense, and uh, the offensive line is, has a lot of key departures. The running back room is just like whew, very, very different than uh, what it looked like a year yeah. ago. But the wide receiver room is, I think, a huge position of strength when I think about where we're headed in the fall and like the amount of talent coming back and who's coming in. Yes, Josh Palmer and Brandon Johnson leaving the program will hurt, but you get Walker Merrill, Julian Nixon, Anderson Kobe coming in. You have Vilas Jones coming back, which I think is huge. I think he'll be utilized a lot more with this staff. You have Jalen Hyatt, um, who I think will be used a lot more. Ramel Keaton, you and I have talked about like that... Uh, that miscommunication with uh, him and Garantano all fall and just the amount of targets that he got that did not come in. So maybe a different quarterback will help. Jimmy Callaway, Jimmy Holiday, Malachi Weidman, um, Cedric Tillman. What do you what do you make of the wide receiver room? Let's start with the departures. Are you concerned at all about Johnson and Palmer being gone? I mean, yeah, I think Palmer was Tennessee's best receiver last year and yeah. was overall a pretty productive player for him for three years, especially given the situation he had at quarterback and on the offensive line and he's a guy that kind of set the world on fire I think in the senior bowl and I think I saw someone this week saying he could go as high as uh, the third round uh, in the NFL draft so he's a guy that I think is a big loss but Brandon Johnson a little bit less so I don't think that's anything Tennessee can't replace and you're right there's not a ton of returning production but there is a lot of returning talent I think there's stuff to be excited about and then you especially throw in Josh Heupel and what he can do and what he wants to do with his offense, I think it, it causes a lot of excitement. I think so. Um, and Palmer was really good. He was a bucket bomb catcher from Garantana this past year. A lot of down the right-hand side, just little bucket catches, and he was good. Um, really good in that Georgia game. But yeah. the additions, Merrill, Nixon, and Kobe, who are you more excited about? 
Well, I, I got to give a little plug to Walker Merrill, I guess. We went to the same high school. I got mm. to watch him play a couple times in high school. He's a guy that I think could come in and be, be a slot receiver um, day one. Nixon was probably, I think, the highest rated of, uh, of the three, but he had some knee injuries in high school, and, and I think he's a guy that would be a little more of a downfield, maybe, maybe could work out a red zone uh, option. But to me, I'd say Merrill's maybe the most likely to make an impact. But I think the biggest thing is you look at the sophomores they brought in last year. Obviously, Hyatt played a good amount, but Weinman and then Holiday and Calais, the two Jimmies, I think those are guys that have a lot of potential. And I think Tennessee needs at least one or two of them to make a jump and be productive players for them this fall. I agree. Um, the returning guys, Velas Jones, Hyatt, Keaton, Tillman, Callaway. Who who are you most excited about seeing get another year? And also, who do you think fits? The, who do you think of this group, the returning group, is most likely to just really explode under Heupel's new offense? I think it would be Hyatt, and I'm, that's probably just because I think he's the most talented player of the bunch. And you saw him flash at times last year, and you – have to think as much as they like to throw the ball down the field, down the sideline in this offense. And the fact that you lose Palmer, who was Tennessee's best best person in that regard last year, I think you would have to think Hyatt's going to have a have a pretty big role there. But Vilas Jones is the one that I, I'm really interested to see. I don't think he'll necessarily be Tennessee's most productive receiver, but he showed flashes last year of, of being really talented and had some strong games, especially towards the end of the season. I, I wonder with a a little bit new offensive system, maybe a little more receiver friendly. Certainly, Tennessee's hoping a quarterback that will be a little, a little bit more receiver friendly. I, I think Jones could have a, a real strong year. All right. Um, any final things on the wide receiver room? How excited should Tennessee fans feel about it? Yeah, I think I think it's the big. You know, it's a. There's not like I said. There's not the returning guys, but there's talent there, and there's a lot of bodies. So I think that's something that you can look to. In year one under Heupel, there's going to be areas where there's going to be a lot of growing pain, and they're not going to be very good. But I think you look at the receiver room, you look at some of the pieces that they have at quarterback, I think there's there's reasons to think they can be successful there and have, have some success there from day one. So I certainly think it, it is an area Tennessee fans should be excited about, not that they're going to come out there and be a top top three, top five receiver unit in the SEC, but I definitely think they have, have talent and mixed with uh, Heupel's experience and kind of his how he runs his offense, I think there's there's certainly reasons to be optimistic. All right. Ryan, what can we check out from you this week at the UTE Daily Beacon? Yeah, so uh, basketball coverage, uh, kind of ending the SEC tournament, looking at what they take from how, what they did well and what they did poor there, and then we'll have complete coverage this weekend in Indianapolis of Tennessee's first-round matchup against Oregon State, and then if the, the balls get past the Beavers, we'll have complete coverage of their second round uh, matchup against either Oklahoma State or Liberty. All right. Well, go check out Ryan's great work. Ryan, thank you as always for the time, my friend. I'm sure we'll see each other at a baseball game soon. Um, But uh, yeah, stay safe out there and enjoy the weekend. Yeah, I appreciate it. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, 
a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.